Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I'm of course your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today by a very special guest. He was a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, but now (laughs) he has become death. Destroyer of Worlds. <laughs> yes, I have. You know him from the Comics That We Love podcast, one of our favorite guests, and more importantly, one of my favorite people. Oh. It's Zach McCrary. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Zach. I didn't come here with a Yodorowsky movie this time. <laughs> no, we. So Micah couldn't be here today. He has some stuff going on. So I was like, I'm going to go find something to review with somebody else. And then. Barbenheimer. Yes. Yes. The event of the summer, Barbieheimer. I'm so glad that you came to me with this one because I wanted to do this anyway. And so it was Kismet. Yeah, it was pretty. And also, Zach is such a buddy. I asked you in like it was on like a Sunday, and I'm and I go, Hey, do you think you'd be able to, I don't know, uh spend like eight hours going to see two <laughs> movies and then recording a podcast on <laughs> Uh, this Saturday coming up <laughs> and like a true friend you said yes <laughs> you got a friend to be yeah it worked out so this one is slotted in somewhere uh between recommendations so next week we'll be back with the normally scheduled episode so this one's just a freebie for uh, a little bonus for you so Zach let's get into it Oh my, yeah, there's so much to just <laughs> yeah. dissect here because we watched these movies back to back within 20 minutes of each other and we struggled to not talk about them in between. <laughs> yeah. When I first heard about this, mm-hmm. I had saw some debates about whether you should see Barbie first and then go see Oppenheimer or if you should go see Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I think we made the correct choice. I do too. Because I don't know how much energy I would have had after sitting through Oppenheimer. <laughs> we would not have been able to enjoy Barbie the way that we did if we went to see it second. Yeah, Barbie was a lot of fun. It was. Oppenheimer, not, not as so fun. much. <laughs> Unless you're like a nihilist or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's a, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a heavy... That was a heavy ass movie. Yeah, it really was. So I think we did the correct decision of Barbie before Oppenheimer. Two very different films. So let's... that have somehow been linked together simply because they exist at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've never heard of anything like this happening. No, before. me neither. Yeah. So and it is it's very funny because they're so opposite. Totally. They just happen to both be big films at the same time. So let's, but I mean, at this point, let's get into it a little bit. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Barbie. Okay, yeah, we won't, let's, yeah, let's start with some fun. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we'll talk about them in the order we saw them and experience them. Cool, cool. So first thoughts on Barbie. It was fucking amazing. Like, really? that really was okay. <laughs> so much fun. Like, I was sitting there, like, I had tears in my eyes at some point laughing. It, it really got me. Dude, it surprised me how funny this movie was. It was, like, shockingly hilarious. Yeah. And mu- poignant. Much better than I expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I had heard good things, but I didn't expect that. Yeah. I mean, I was fully prepared for it to be, and, and it was, single-handedly 
the biggest movie destroying Christian values in our country today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, saw, I saw one person online say something like, they won't stop until we're all gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said that to me. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I feel like we have to talk about that with this movie because it's generated so much, not only hype from people who've enjoyed it, but people on the right who are like, it's so woke and it hates Christian values and it hates men. And I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? <laughs> like, why are you surprised by that? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it has a perspective and and that's fine. So, I mean, I'm not saying you have to have that perspective or anything, but it definitely comes from a a feminist point of view. Sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, but it was interesting, though, how it kind of flip flops between the real world and Barbie's world where Ken and the other Kens are the downtrodden in that world. And then in the real world, she sees that it's the opposite. And that's what gives Ken that spark. I'm sure that everybody expects this is going to be a very spoiler filled episode. Yeah. Yeah. So big spoiler alert. These are two new movies. So if you're waiting to go see them, go see them and come back. But yeah, they definitely I thought it was neat. Actually, it did a a really interesting thing where it actually kind of looked at that like ideal that idealistic feminism mm -hmm. like uh, that that Barbie's supposed to represent and kind of looks at like, you know, nothing's perfect. And that that concept of feminism, if that's what you want to call it or whatever, but living in the Barbie world where all the girls are in charge and they have all yeah, the power. Girl bosses like that's also not a good world if you're a Ken. Just the same way as if you're living in a world where women have no power. It's not awesome to be a woman. It goes both ways. Mm hmm. So I actually felt like it kind of towed that line uh, and wasn't afraid to kind of poke holes in that idealistic concept of feminism. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like it, it, it towed it towed a line, but it also kind of gave you perspective on what the what that opposite would be if if you had that that feminist utopia. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. But man, it was it was a. It was a smart movie. It really was. It was. I'm surprised. I was surprised by a lot of things. I was surprised by uh, how adult some of the humor was. And, <laughs> like, and the, like the beach offs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Genuinely that um, how much they poked fun at Mattel. Oh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised by just how funny it was. Yeah, it like the the humor was smart and it really it really gave you that idea like normally and I, I've said this on other shows, but I normally really hate when movies do the fish out of water thing and they bring someone to the real world and they experience the real world and blah, blah, like, yeah, like the only like very few movies do it well. Usually it's just because they don't want to have something be fully animated is basically the sure, excuse. Yeah. Um, but this was an instance where I thought that doing the fish out of water thing actually made sense because you and I loved the idea that everything that is happening in Barbie's world is because like that Barbie specifically is linked to a kid playing with that Barbie and it can affect what happens there. And and so 
normally these Barbies are, you know, the ideals of Barbie are kept whole because it's usually little kids playing with them and they don't have the overwhelming sense of dread of life. Yeah. And uh, and that and her going to the real world and getting a piece of what reality is like and that that Barbies haven't made the world perfect for women, you know, and, and stuff like that. I thought that was so well done and at the same time, quite hilarious at times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but this, I mean, it's fun. Actually, there's a piece, not even the movie. People were so excited to see this movie. And yeah. keep in mind, this was 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. It was a matinee showing, and it was still pretty busy. Yeah. I mean, it's a small theater we went to. It was fairly busy. And as soon as the Warner Brothers logo comes up and it's pink, there was like a girl a couple seat, couple rows ahead of us who like puts her arms up in the air. Yes. It's like, yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> It, it, it was a cool experience because you could tell how excited people were yeah, there, to be seeing this movie. There's real excitement about this, not only for the nostalgia of like people who grew up playing with the toys, but also for what the movie, you know, for what the movie could mean to someone like like a like a. a a female or, or like it's hard to say because I'm just your white dude. But, you yeah. know, what I'm saying like like the perspective being presented there. I can see being a very positive uh, effect on those on people yeah. who feel the same. They're coming for us. They think it's going to mean the end of the patriarchy, Zach. <laughs> so we better head for the hills. We better head for the hills. <laughs> it did feel so. There were so many times in that movie where I actually like just burst out laughing at stuff. And I was the only male voice that loud. And I was like, should I shut up? <laughs> like, am I ruining this for somebody? Because <laughs> I'm like, laughing at it. What's that bear in the back doing laughing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my. It's like the and the acting like Margot Robbie was a gem. Like she always is. But I loved her portrayal of this, like the naivete of of being a doll from a perfect world and not understanding what's happening to you when you start to feel feels, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, even like, I know we're, we're kind of just trucking along, but like even at the very end when we, which is an ending that I didn't expect exactly, but the moments toward the end with Rhea Perlman was really emotional and really well done. I thought. Yeah. Very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sweet is the exact word. Yeah, it was a very sweet moment. And I enjoyed that they included like the the woman who created Barbie, which you pointed out to me, actually, in yeah. the theater. Yeah, there's a scene and uh, Greta Gerwig is who directed this. And yes. I had seen an, the only reason I knew that is because I had seen an article because Rhea Perlman plays her name is Ruth uh, something. She's the person who in, created Barbie. Yeah. So the actual Ruth has a cameo in the film. She's just on a bunch on a bus bench and her and Barbie make eye contact mm -hmm. and just kind of stare at each other. And then Barbie goes, you're beautiful. And she says it back. She's like, so are you. Hey folks, it's Thor from the future. So what I just told Zach is actually totally false. Um, I did read an article. The woman on the bench though is not Ruth, the creator of Barbie. It is actually a woman named Anne Roth. She was the costume designer for the film. Uh, she's actually a five-time Academy Award nominee, um, and she is a two-time winner for The English Patient in 1996 and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in 2020. At the time, I had a computer next to me and a phone, but rather than actually look that stuff up, I just haphazardly passed on some misinformation to my good friend Zach, which he probably passed on to other people. So. 
Uh, sorry, Zach, but I left it in because I feel like there's still some interesting conversation that comes from this. No, but she you... was like, I know I am. <laughs> oh, is that what yeah. she said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I misremembered already. But <laughs> in any case, so that scene, uh, essentially the studio was like, it has no purpose in the film. And she's like, no, it needs to be in there. <laughs> I agree. And that line is kind of perfect because they show us all the various Barbies when we, you know, we get the intro and we meet President Barbie and we meet nobel laureate barbie fat barbie and trans barbie and all the barbies and but like every time it's a barbie who's winning an award they're like you deserve this and she's like i know i do you know (laughs) so that's perfect that she says to the creator you know like you are so beautiful and she's like i know it i thought that was kind of cool yeah they did a lot i think they did a really great job of paying homage to to it this i mean like you said there's a lot of really uh, especially towards the end, some really like heartfelt and sweet scenes, mm-hmm. which is I was unsuspect because it could have just been bright and pink and fun. Yeah. And they managed to add a lot of like really heartfelt and kind of thoughtful stuff into it so much. But the parts that are fun were really fun. Like I love when Barbie's still in Barbie world, mm-hmm. when she's like brushing her teeth and drinking from a yes. cup and taking a shower they they a props department had to make like an oversized hairbrush that's just slightly <laughs> out of proportion or, or the remote control to the tv is like the size of her head yes yeah yeah i yeah, i love those scenes especially the the breakfast scene because you can see off in the background that there's a different barbie at her own dream house doing the exact same thing she does a slight turn holds the plate out the waffle hops off the the butter hops off yeah yeah like the every morning all of these barbies do the same routine and there's no way to get downstairs in the barbie dream house except taking the damn slide (laughs) yeah they take the slide (laughs) yeah and like you said margot robbie does a great job of portraying a plastic doll come to life yeah totally (laughs) there's a lot of like understated physicality in it that is pretty impressive to watch like her, her, her stature, would that be the, or like the way she holds herself in, in the scenes, you know what I mean? Like very statuesque, very straight, yep. like a Barbie doll. Yeah. Like she, she holds herself like a doll. Always really straight. Well. And whenever she moves, it's always, it's never too fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least until she starts feeling human feels. Yeah. Once she starts getting weird and her feet go flat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, man, Kate McKinnon. I, I love as, her as weird Barbie as weird Barbie yeah. was fantastic. And <laughs> it's so funny because I, I didn't have Barbies, but I knew lots of kids who did. And y- there always was that Barbie that they decided to try and cut its hair or do its makeup differently. Yeah. And it just looks I like this mutant. Like, she's always doing the splits. Yeah. Cause that's another, it's the Barbie. It's always laying there with its yeah. legs. <laughs> well, and I was thinking when Margot Robbie goes, have you guys ever thought about death? And I'm like death for a Barbie is a brutal death they get their limbs ripped off they get their heads ripped off oh my gosh yeah they didn't even touch on that kind of thing (laughs) they get crushed by a car wheel they get melted by like a magnifying glass death for a barbie (laughs) is the most horrific death you can experience (laughs) oh god and the the treat like i i really enjoyed 
throwing in all of these references to actual like Barbie history and like discontinued figures that are that sounds so ridiculous. And they openly talk about how ridiculous they are, like magic earring Ken and yep. things like that. And you know? well, what was her name? It was a Barbie that was pregnant. Oh, Midge. Midge. Yeah. Was Midge. <laughs> and the voiceover even and it's Helen Mirren doing mm-hmm. the voiceover. And she even comes over and she says, yes, this was a real thing. And it was a terrible idea or something like <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It turns out that people don't want a pregnant Barbie <laughs> or the or the scene where where Margot Ro- where, where Barbie is like, uh, I don't I'm not perfect anymore. I'm not beautiful or something like that. And then the voiceover chimes in and says the, the director does realize that that this is a false statement when hiring Margot Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really funny moment. Yeah. And, the, the battle of all the Kens, I thought, was f- a ton of fun. With Simu Liu coming in as, like, kind of the rival to yeah, Brian Gosling's Ken. Yeah, that's Shang-Chi, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, um, Benadir... Benadir Kingsley, I believe is his name. Or Kingsley Benadir. Yeah, I think that's it. But he was actually, the like, the villain Gravik on the Secret secret War... Or Secret Invasion that just happened on Disney+. Plus. Okay, yeah. He was actually the bad guy, and he was, like... Uh, oh, he was one R- of the Kens. He was Ryan Gosling's like right hand Ken. Basically. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was really fun, but I I loved the idea of of Ken going into the real world at this downtrodden like guy who just loves Barbie so much and and learning that men basically run this world except he thinks that it's men and horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's one of my favorite scenes is when he's walking around just seeing all the cool shit that dudes do he's like seeing cars and he's like what's that what is that it's a big hummer he's walking like he walks and people are like hello sir he's like you respect me (laughs) yeah someone asked me for the time (laughs) he's like oh my god this person respects me so much that they want me to tell them what time it is he's like can you just tell me what time it is he's like no i don't actually know what time it is no i cannot Oh, yeah, I love Ryan Gosling in this. He was hilarious. He was apparently she, the reason that Greta Gerwig really wanted him was because she saw him on Saturday Night Live and realized like, oh, he he actually can be funny. He's got comedic timing. Yeah, yeah. He, he's Which so he talented. He is. Yeah, he's a really talented actor. Where else can we go? I mean, the Barbie, it's funny. I can understand why some people would feel threatened by it. No. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it takes a hard stance against uh, toxic masculinity, I guess oh, you yes. could call it. Um, and it definitely has a real hard feminist perspective. It it does. But like but at the same time, I think it also but like I, said, I think it does poke fun a little bit, too, at feminism as some kind of like hard ideology. You know, it's not afraid to poke fun itself a little bit. It's very self-aware. Like everything about the movie was very self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. But, but if you're somebody who's like, I hate stuff that's woke, this just definitely isn't for you. Probably not. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to remember her name. She was um, the mother in in this. She was from this show. She's she was on Ugly Betty, I think, and then she was also on Super Show or Superstore. What's her name? The mom? Oh, America Ferreira. America Ferreira. Yeah. Like the speech that she gives towards the end when she's explaining to the Barbies like what it means to be a a real woman in the world. Yeah. At least in yeah. She's like, you have to be pretty, but you can't act like you try so hard and you have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of stuff and showing the like the the ridiculous standards that women are are held to and how they 
they oppose each other, like how diametrically there is what you should do and what you need to avoid doing and, and the razor's edge that that is for, yeah. for being a woman. I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't know if that was the best way to make that point because the whole time it's like, is this yappy broad going to stop anytime <laughs> soon? Because I... <laughs> Man, I, I mean, you 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 made the joke after we walked out of that that you thought about saying it in the theater and i was like thor this is another instance just like on your podcast where you're gonna say something and i know you're joking but someone else is gonna think you're serious i mean yeah it's a joke but also i mean i mean come on like do i need a whole diatribe about how tough it is to be a woman but I think that that is the crux of the movie. And oh, yeah, it definitely that was, is. <laughs> it that, like, definitely is. Yeah, like that, that's that is that's the crux of the movie is that like Barbie thinks that by being Barbie, she is changing the world for women. When in actuality, Barbie past a certain age has zero effect on the way that life happens yeah. for a woman. But as a straight white man, I really think I shouldn't have to listen to a woman talk. I should just get to see Margot Robbie in a bikini. Again, <laughs> Thor makes jokes that he doesn't necessarily mean. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> he is a good person. <laughs> I thought they were. No, I, I am kidding, obviously. I thought um, I did think that was a good scene. It was just a bit long. Uh, it, <laughs> like she I, was really hammering that point home. And I think maybe because I am a guy. And even though I understood the things that she was saying mm -hmm. uh, about the, how there's all these incongruities with how you have to act to be respected yeah. and be appreciated around people, how you have to be two opposite things at the same time mm -hmm. constantly and how impossible that is. Um, although I could understand all of that, I couldn't necessarily relate to it. Yeah. So as it just kept going on, I'm like, Gee, like wrap it up, get to the point. <laughs> I hate using like this phrase because it's a phrase you hear a lot, but it like it, 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 that, wasn't for us that that part was not made for us no this movie wasn't made for really us. It, yeah it really wasn't this movie wasn't made for us the fact that we got so much enjoyment out of it shows how good of a movie it actually is much but better than i expected it would be honestly wh when that speech was being made though i did find myself feeling like this movie was made so that that could happen like everything around this movie that makes it fun and and you know and enjoyable was so that that could happen at this point. Yeah, they wrote that. They wrote that monologue before they wrote anything else in the movie. Right. Like, <laughs> not that's to, how it felt. Yeah, like not to get too nerd deep, but uh, like the the novel Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Have you ever sure. read that? Yeah. And like there was, and forgive me, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I remember when I was reading it, there is a specific scene where where your main character and another character are having this really important intricate conversation and i remember the first time i read that book i was like aldous huxley wrote this entire book around that like this like this is the crux of what he's trying to say with this book being said through these two characters yeah and everything around that is hopefully trying to lead you to it sure and I, that's the way i felt there yeah no i can give you there's an episode of american dad Mm -hmm. I'm gonna same concept. I know that <laughs> not quite Brave as, New World. <laughs> not as quite as highbrow as Brave New World. But and the whole joke is there's a character, his name is Dick, and he has kind of changed his personality. Okay. And so the guy just starts saying, He's like, I don't like new dick. I don't want new dick. Give me old dick. <laughs> Give me the dick I love. Give me the dick I need. <laughs> 
And so the whole 10 minutes before this guy says that uh-huh. was to get to that joke. <laughs> Everything was just Such leading a stupid, to old dick. A stupid dick joke of being like, oh, this guy's name's Dick. Wouldn't it be funny if we were like, give me the good dick <laughs> that yes. I love? Comedically, yeah, it was all leading you somewhere specific. So, yeah, basically the same thing as Brave Totally the same. And the Barbie movie, <laughs> totally yeah. Totally the same thing. <laughs> yeah I, I i thought it was i thought it was brilliant i really did i thought this movie was brilliant because of everything it was able to accomplish in that two hours or so period because it made me laugh a ton it made me think and feel things and, and it you know it got a message across sure yeah and i mean i liked will ferrell as the head of mattel it's just, a just very, playing will ferrell yeah just doing <laughs> will ferrell stuff as he does yeah but i like the concept that like Barbie world what happened in Barbie world just meant they started producing the actual things because it once Ken goes back and takes over Barbie world then the the factory just starts producing Ken's mojo dojo casa house yeah (laughs) and it's like flying (laughs) off the shelves (laughs) and like sad depressed Barbies they just start oh yeah just wearing sweatpants and (laughs) being sad all day yeah so so it's like this weird they don't even directly address it it's just like this thing known that the people of mattel realize that barbie world exists mm-hmm. and barbie world and the can affect the real world and vice versa and vice versa <laughs> and so what's going on in barbie world makes the factory make different things and i i love it was a funny concept i loved that yeah i love the use of magical realism where you don't need to explain it it just is yeah they're just like this is just what it is and they made mattel out to be like this uh kind of like a wizard of oz type scenario totally totally. (laughs) where like you have to go up the elevator all the way to the top to talk to the big guy in this very phallic building (laughs) i think will ferrell specifically says And, and the fact that like mattel which in this world is just barbie and and it's all run by a giant table of men like 10 to 12 men all running it, but talking about how much they care about women. <laughs> yeah. And that's another one where they're not afraid to like take a look at the look at the concept and kind of laugh about it. Cause uh-huh. at one point Will Ferrell goes, I'm just a grown man who really cares about girls, not in a <laughs> creepy little way. Little girls' dreams. <laughs> about <Yeah>. Little girls' <laughs> dreams, not in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he when they're when she first goes into the boardroom and she's like, I'd like to talk to the CEO, and he's like, Well, that's me. And then she starts going through like CFO, see, and it's all dudes, and and he's like, Look, he's like, you know, we've had two women ceos he's like one in the 90s and like one another time like so we are very understanding of women like i'm i'm the son of a woman i'm the you know (laughs) goes through that he's like i have gay friends yeah yeah i i love that whole thing like man yeah like it was even a poke of it was even poking fun at like this this ceo who's He's immediately like, hey, I have black friends. I get what you're getting at. Yes. I have black friends. Women have worked here before. This, like, sensitivity to even be viewed as, like, that that fear of even being viewed as mm-hmm. uh, non-inclusive or anything like that. Yeah, or, like, the like the, the idea of being an ally. and the, But, like, but you're still a dude in control of a women's product kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, yeah I, I, again... Very well written, very smart, very smart writing. 
Yeah. Much better than it had any right to be. Seriously. If I'm being honest. Yeah. This was, and I totally see, because I remember when it was about to come out, like some of the ads for it were, if you love Barbie, you're going to want to see this. If you hate Barbie, you're going to want to see this. Because you could totally go in as someone who hates Barbie and still enjoy it. Unless you're going in because you watched a whole bunch of right wing news, because then you're going to just hate it. But I think like, yeah. if you're just someone who generally is like Barbie is stupid, if you're not scared of different ideas, then it's you'll probably yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. If you're just generally someone who doesn't like Barbie and thinks it's stupid, you could still watch that movie and laugh yeah. a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I'm somebody who I don't care about Barbie. And yeah, I and I certainly think I probably have different, you know, like ideological views than like, and I'm not trying to make this whole thing about that, but there is, like we said, there is definitely a perspective. Sure. But it's not like I went away and I'm like, oh, I'm a feminist now and I must, I must raise women up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, it didn't change me as a person. It's yeah, like, you yeah. just ex like go into it accepting and knowing like, that's, you know what I mean? It has a perspective and yeah. just just deal with it or don't watch it you know? and both but. both films had perspectives that they were like agendas that they were pushing oh basically. for sure yeah. yeah which maybe is another reason that the movies wound up getting tied together in a in an ironic or funny way you know yeah i could see that um oh also michael sarah who oh, plays alan, alan in barbie a, the discontinued other guy yeah he was like i guess because all the characters and things are stuff from Barbie's past. Yeah, it's all real stuff. And Alan, I guess, was Ken's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Most and, girls don't even care about Ken, let alone his best friend, Alan. Yeah, Alan was awesome. He I, was hilarious. I, dude, I've been a Michael Sarah fan since Arrested Development was originally on Same. cable, you know? Yeah, he was perfect for that role. Yeah, yeah, and him just hating he because he hates Barbie Land for a totally different reason than the Kens because he is just there. He's alone. There are no other him. And he's just this lonely. Yeah, there's lost no Barbies soul. for Alan. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Alan's just there. All he wants to do is escape. <laughs> when he beats the shit out of the construction worker Kens, <laughs> that was such a great moment. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. Much better than I expected. Um, I didn't love it, but I mean, I don't once this wasn't made for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I walked into it expecting I was going to hate it. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I was like, it just looks dumb. I bet mm. it's going to be cheesy. And it was the right. It was the perfect amount of. Of silly and lighthearted and serious. And it was a little bit cheesy, but in the right way. In the right way. And I think ultimately, like you said, the smart, the writing is smart. Mm hmm. The comedy is smart. It's all well thought out. Once again, much better than it has any right to be for being a movie about Barbie. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I do. do we are we going to are we going to rate them separately? Or are we just going to rate Barbieheimer as a whole at the end? What do you what do you want to do? Yeah, I think we'll just rate Barbenheimer as a whole okay. <laughs> for the whole experience. <laughs> OK, OK. Ooh. All right. So, yeah, I mean. We're about halfway. We are. We talked about Barbie much better than I expected. Zach seemed to like it. I, I went in expecting it to be good because as I told you before the show, friend friend of the show, Adam Brinker, also my roommate, been on my shows a bunch. He is a movie snob and he texted me at like 1130 at night one night after seeing it with his girlfriend to be like, you have to see this movie because it is legit. And he like he thinks that there is a tie to 
Ryan Gosling as Ken with Ryan Gosling's character in Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't had the chance to get him to lay that out for me yet, but I'm very curious now that I've seen it. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. Makes I mean, if Barbie can travel to the real world, there's still going to be Kens around in 50 years when well, you Blade fig- Runner happens. Figure like Blade Runner is all like there's the the you can't tell if they're real or not. You know, Oh like, my god. The, the okay, replicants. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ken comes back and then now he's a replicant. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if he, and I don't a know if he meant Blade that, Runner. <laughs> I don't know if he le- meant like literally Ken is like the character or if like they wrote it in a way that the similarities were on, on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Know. Yeah. You'll have to get back to me on that. Oh, well, yeah. Hey folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at get wrecked podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or, if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep, I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, so the second part of our double feature. The more more lighthearted of the two. Yeah. (laughs) Christopher Nolan's... uh, uh, what would you call it? A comedy romp. Yeah. <laughs> of the season. <laughs> yeah, no, a biopic about yeah. J. Robert Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. the father of the atomic bomb. And it just follows his life from. And I, I liked the jumping around that we like throughout the entire movie. We are getting three different things. We're getting the like we're watching him go through life and go through the Manhattan Project. But we're also getting him in the not courtroom, but in that room where they're deciding whether or not to keep his clearance. Yeah, to keep his security clearance, which was essentially the government's way of conducting a witch hunt against him to discredit him. Right. And, you know, essentially take away his livelihood Mm -hmm. as a scientist. And then then on the opposite side, we are at the same time had Strauss, uh, who is played by Robert Downey Jr., uh, and he's trying to... Like he has been put up for a seat in the cabinet of Eisenhower, I believe it was. Yeah. And uh, and of course, they have to go through the whole Senate hearing to decide whether they will confirm him or not. Yeah. And I loved that. The juxtaposition of those two. Yeah, it was cool for some. I, I didn't love that for some reason. Just that one part was in black and white. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I knew that there were I knew that there were chunks of the movie that were in black and white. Uh, so I was ready for it. It worked for me. I don't know why it worked for me, but it did. Why didn't it work for you? Honestly, it took me a bit to get into this movie mm-hmm. because it, especially in the beginning, it jumps around a lot yeah, and quickly. Like the first hour of this film kind of feels like it's at like this feverish pace where they're just trying to get through so much to get you to the meat and potatoes of the Manhattan Project. Right. Because there's so much that happened to him before then that would affect what happened to him after the Manhattan Project that they had to lay that all out for you as quickly as they could so that the the meat and potatoes could be the Manhattan Project. So while they're feverishly going through this with I mean, literally a lot of the scenes were 
20, 30 seconds long, and then it switches to a different scene. Mm -hmm. So you get these really short, quick scenes, and it's just constantly going. There's no, like, lull. No. It feels like. But that's also intercut with some of these scenes of uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, and those ones are in black and white. And at first, I'm like, what the hell is going on? I get that we're jumping around time, but I'm like, which one is first? Which one is... And Mm -hmm. I didn't... It didn't make sense to me that the scenes that were taking place the furthest in the future were black black and white. white. Mm. (laughs) Why wouldn't you do it? Because normally it's the reverse because you consider black and white to be old. Yeah. And so you would expect that that's what that would be. Yeah. So I think that's what I, 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 like I said, I just didn't love it. It it just felt a little hard to follow in, especially in the beginning. Uh, I wonder, okay, so this is just me throwing it out there. I haven't actually read anything about the decision to make those scenes black and white. But do you think maybe the reason for the black and white scenes is because, I mean, obviously all of the black and white, well, no, no, actually not all of the black and white is post him getting his clearance taken away. But all the black and white does seem to be the point where he's, where Oppenheimer is starting to be taken down a peg and, and like, like his, his fall basically. Like, and I wonder if like it was almost them saying that his fall, like, stole the color from the i don't fucking know i'm just trying Maybe to make I something up see, as i yeah, go yeah i could see that i my kind of take on it was that all because the majority of the black and white scenes were this essentially uh, a uh congressional uh what do they call it again the hearing yeah yeah the congressional the hearing confirmation to, confirmation yeah yeah the congressional confirmation hearing yeah from so Louis Strauss. my take on it was that it was supposed to feel like a because those things are televised i think it was meant to feel like you were watching a press conference in the 1950s or watching a confirmation hearing sure in the 50s. that that was my assumption as to why they did it that, that would yeah that makes sense that does make sense to me uh i love i thought that those scenes were really well done that was you know it was easily it was the best acting that robert downey jr has done in years that wasn't just him being cool robert you know <laughs> yeah yeah doing that thing he does really which he does awesome oh yes but it is nice to see him do something a little different mm-hmm. i didn't even realize it was him at first oh really yeah it took it took a little bit i'm like oh that's that's robert downey jr mm-hmm. i remember like I, we talked before uh, about the fact that robert downey jr has has said and i don't think he meant it as a jab at the mcu but he was basically like i've been doing that tony stark thing so long that i was i wasn't sure i remembered how to act (laughs) (laughs) well he really hasn't had to act he just had to memorize lines and then say them the way he says them Mm -hmm. yeah because tony stark is robert downey jr now in comics and and, everything and i mean in full disclosure like honestly the way he played that character wasn't wildly different from i from his normal robert downey jr stuff either it's not like like it was definitely more understated. It was definitely different, but I didn't. I don't know. It's always Robert Downey Jr. He's always going to come through. Do you think that's like just because of his status old. now? No, I just think his personality is always going to come through a little oh, bit. See, I I didn't get that vibe. I didn't get the it's Tony Stark but old vibe. I I, I felt like he really harnessed something different for this character. Like I was still you know because of the fact that I know him so well. Not as a friend, but you know what I mean? (laughs) No, as a lover. Yeah, as a lover. Exactly. Because I know Robert Downey Jr. so well as a lover, uh, (laughs) I 
you know, you're, you're still going to be pulled out every once in a while. Like, yeah, that's, that's RDJ. That's RDJ. But overall, I thought that he did a really good oh, job yeah, of yeah, no. not just being Robert Downey Jr. That oh, he, for sure. Yeah. He showed his chops, which he hasn't had the chance to do in a while. <laughs> I really liked, um, obviously Killian Murphy is incredible. Holy dude, shit. Dude, I love him so much. He's so good in I everything. Mean, he's so beautiful. His <laughs> eyes he is a babe and he is just and he he has this ability to just play the darkest roles mm -hmm. and you just he's so intense he's such an intense person mm -hmm. can you imagine like going out to lunch with him <laughs> <laughs> i nope <laughs> i just literally can't like at all <laughs> Yeah, he uh, it looks like he dropped some weight because he looked even more gaunt than normal, too. Yes. Like, yeah, I he, heard he dropped a lot yeah, of weight. Like he role. really embodied Oppenheimer, because if you ever watch old interviews of Oppenheimer and just look at his eyes and look how gaunt he is. And and even even like he even nailed the cadence and the and the tone of the way Oppenheimer spoke so well. Oh, okay. it, was, it was impressive. Yeah, I heard that uh, on something that he essentially existed on a diet of primarily cigarettes and martinis oh so he literally just did what men did back then <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. the madman diet more or less yeah i heard a number of people like i read a couple articles not even okay when i say i read an article i read the headline of an article <laughs> that's that's what reading news is now <laughs> um, and essentially saying like he really damaged his body or just carelessly treated yeah. his body in order to get that real Oppenheimer yeah. look again just lived as a man of that time <laughs> more or less yeah yeah he, he was so good Emily Blunt was great as his wife Kitty the one thing okay so I love Florence Pugh she is such a great actress I love her in everything I thought she was good in this movie the one thing I will say is that there were times where I was like does she have to have her boobs out right now like was that is that absolutely necessary? Cause like, it seemed like every time we saw her, she had her boobs out. Yeah. According to Killian Murphy, all of the scenes were vital to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I didn't love. So I started, I opened this episode with that. The most famous quote from Oppenheimer, mm -hmm. which is, I am now, or now I am, now I am become death destroyer of worlds, destroyer of worlds. And I didn't love the the decision for them to have him say it in the film when Florence Pugh's character is inserting his dick in her. That is literally when it <laughs> happens, because she tells him to read from the Bhagavad Gita, and that's the line that they had him read. It was yep. I was like, really, this is for how serious of a movie this is. For them to be like, you know what? We need to sneak this into the movie so we can call it back when the bomb goes off and he, which is what they did. Yeah. But why was the decision to have Florence Pugh sitting on top of him, <laughs> putting yeah. him inside her when he says it? And like, you actually <laughs> see that she is doing that. Like, they don't show it, but you know that that is what she is doing. Yeah. She says, read this to me. <laughs> And then puts him back in. Yeah, and he tells her, I am now become death, destroyer of worlds. It gets her wetter than she's ever been, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> like, so that would have been... It felt 
unnecessary. <laughs> that scene would have been fine with me if because the whole point is like she stops like they stop having sex. She gets up and she's looking at his vast library and she's like a scientist has all these other books and she comes across this book. It's all written in Sanskrit. And he's like, I'm trying to learn it. And so she's like, well, read it to me. If you would have just had him say what the book was and and still maybe read something from it, that alone sets that up for later. You know what I mean? Like, at least in my mind, yeah. it does. Yeah, he could have said, actually, let me see that. I really like this part right here. But yeah, she just happens to open up the book. To that line. To that exact line and points to it. Do you think that the, do you think that that's Nolan basically saying that that was like the bomb exploding was the climax of J. Robin, Robert Oppenheimer's <laughs> life? The bomb going off made him think of coming inside for complete, like I'm, I'm completely serious. I'm completely serious. Do you think that that is what like the symbolism he was drawing for with that was? Because Oppenheimer did say that that was his first thought when he watched it happen, you know? Not like he didn't say, well, this one time I came in my girlfriend and I thought that, too. And it made me think of bombs. But do you think that's what Nolan was going for? Perhaps. I mean, I because they could be allegorical because that quote from the what's it called? Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita, obviously. Clearly. Um, <laughs> is essentially that is the sound of when it's it's either Shiva or Vishnu. One Vishnu. of them as as the God is presenting themselves to yeah, the, their form of death yeah to the print and it's like looks like a thousand suns burning or something like that mm -hmm. so perhaps that really is nolan's way of being like what's the what's the other most powerful thing in the world the you know what i mean mm -hmm. the thing that can create life versus the thing that can the destroy thing life. that can destroy i life. really think that that was what was going on that but could be i don't know it just felt silly though well yes it did. <laughs> as soon I as agree. it happened i'm like what the f like i thought this was a serious movie and this is how you're presenting that quote that was the, the only time in that whole movie where i was like Ugh. that and towards the end you get the um the really forward part where essentially uh, Einstein is telling Oppenheimer, like, look, they're going to everybody who lifts you up there. Once you find your success, right. then they're going to tear you down because he felt that that's what and, happened to him, basically. Yeah. And then they will uh, they'll praise you. And but not for your sake, it's for their sake, mm -hmm. essentially. They so feel they do bad a, they a real it, far flash forward of Oppenheimer as an old man getting an award. Mm hmm. The makeup of trying to age everybody up in that scene is really bad. It's not. It wasn't. It wasn't great. <laughs> like, like old people, makeup really never really go, does. Very few and far between do you see that done well in movies. Maybe it's just because we know that person isn't old, so it's like a what do they call that? The uncanny valley kind of thing where you're like, I know that that's makeup. Yeah. You know? Like some of it wasn't. Uh, I felt like Emily Blunt's looked all right. Sure. But some of it was some of them were just really bad or the uh, Josh Hartnett's character. Oh, yeah. Especially when they aged him up like that. So now it's like 40 years later, but he still wears his hair and clothes the exact same way. But that is years old later. people. <laughs> that is totally old people. Yeah, but it's a cool guy With still back hair, too. No, but no, it's a fucking nerd. It's a scientist. He was a scientist. He's not a cool slick back guy, even though it's Josh Hartnett. The real man was I would say for probably, a scientist, he looked pretty cool. Well, I wonder what the real guy looked like, because I'm sure when he was old, he had the pants pulled up to his titties, oh, yeah. just like all old men. And they were like ugly blue pastel colors. And he's wearing a yellow windbreaker. 
you know, your typical old man. <laughs> but I was just like, he kept his hairdo exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. So his face aged 40 years, but his hair stayed exactly the same. But it was gray now. <laughs> it was oh, gray now. God. No, yeah. but this this so. movie was really good. It was really thought provoking. It was intense. There were moments like there were moments where I was angry because of what was happening, like the watching the witch hunt happen, like there uh-huh. were moments of tension that really got me. And and I'll be honest, I I think I told you this before we went into it. I'm not super familiar with Oppenheimer. Mm. I wasn't super familiar with that story and that he was essentially persecuted okay. by the government because he decided to speak out against hydrogen bombs because mm-hmm. he had regrets you know, of making the atom bomb. Yeah. I mean, so much that Harry Truman called him a crybaby and told him to that's get out real. of his office. That's real. <laughs> you told me that. I was like, that's awesome. So I was really, I liked how nitty gritty it got into the details. Mm-hmm. Cause it, I think it was a little bit hard to follow at first and actually throughout, like you really have to pay attention during this film, but it doesn't shy away from introducing a lot of characters Sure, because there were so many very important people that throughout that whole thing. Yeah, and it's the bureaucracy of government is mind-numbingly boring. (laughs) And they get into a lot of it, but but it's done in a way that's like really interesting and captivating. Because that actual story, as it played out for him, although I'm sure it was heart-wrenching, I'm sure it was a lot of monotonous hours of sitting in sitting through questioning. Oh, yeah. And we we got to watch the blips, mm -hmm. like the blips where something interesting happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And the the all of the stuff with the actual making of the atomic bomb, the Manhattan Project was done really well. And especially like the day that they are gonna do the first test the trinity mm-hmm. and that oh, that scene got so intense i don't know if you felt that way but like just knowing that it's coming like they did a good job of like making it quiet like music goes away and it gets really intense and like obviously we can't feel the way that those actual people felt that day mm-hmm. but i feel like it did a good job of giving you at least a semblance of how that must feel because when they are doing the countdown, I felt that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're on the edge of your seat. It's yeah. palpable. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen that footage. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, most people, I would say, have seen the footage of that test. And so you know what's going to happen, but you're still, as it's counting down, like, you're like, oh, man, here it comes, here mm-hmm. it comes. And then when it does happen, you get the dead silence dead and just silence. that flash of light which is true like that's the way it goes down like there is the immediate reaction but it's so fast that there's no sound which is horrifying uh-huh yeah yeah I, and i loved that they had they they took killian murphy's breath and that's what we hear while we're seeing the explosion happen it's just him breathing mm-hmm. in the silence yeah that scene was done really well really well yeah and then once the actual sound wave hits everyone, mm. that is well, because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yep. It doesn't lead you to believe like, oh, here it's here. It's about to come. You honestly almost kind of forget about it. They let the silence. You see the, the flash and then everything is completely silent and it's mm-hmm. kind of just showing different people how they're reacting. Mm-hmm. 
And it goes on so long, you kind of forget that, oh, we never heard the sound. And then it's just, boom, it just hits, it hits you. you. Mm, 100%. And like that, I thought that that was masterfully done because anyone who hasn't done any kind of reading on this kind of, on that subject wouldn't know that. And they would probably just assume, oh, it was silent there for artistic purposes. No, like that's what happens. Yeah. Like the sound comes later. The boom yeah, and the Yeah, because they were the like wave. 20 miles away. Yeah, They were exactly. really far away. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> fucking had to be. <laughs> Oh, man. I also really liked the part where they're talking to Einstein. Um, I don't know who played Einstein, but... I'll look it up. It Keep felt, talking. It felt pretty good. But I liked where they had this this concern that when they started this nuclear reaction, mm-hmm. that they might have a never-ending chain reaction oh, that yeah. just lit up the atmosphere and then all the atmosphere would burn and they were about to destroy the world. Yeah. And I love that that was a legitimate concern. They had. And I love that what, <laughs> that the entire time Matt Damon's character, the general involved had no idea about yep, this. Nobody until, mentioned that to until him. test day. And he's like, wait, so like how much of a chance is this? He's like near zero. <laughs> Don't worry. Near zero. It was a uh, Tom Conti played played him. I am not familiar with the actor. I don't know him from anything. Derailed. Ruben Ruben. Merry Christmas. Mr. Lawrence. Whatever those are. Yeah. His biggest hits were from 1983. And then the next one was in 2005. Yeah. So, so it's been a hot minute. But yeah, I thought that his portrayal was also really good of uh, Einstein. I like that they they portrayed Einstein. They like. I mean, he's got the wacky hair, but they didn't try to wacky him up like a lot of movies do when they bring up Einstein. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, they represent. He felt like a real person. Right, exactly. He wasn't a character. And at that point, the point in time when you see him is kind of that point in Einstein's life where the majority of his important work was behind him. Mm -hmm. They even mentioned that basically the first time that Oppenheimer met Einstein was to give him the award that later Albert reminds him of that, like that word wasn't for me. It was for all of you basically booting me out the door. Like, good job. Now it's our time. Like everything you did doesn't matter anymore. And yeah, so I thought that was really well done. Everything about this movie was well done, except for that one line, (laughs) except for, except for Dick insertion with now I am become death. That was the one moment where I was like, everything else though, I thought was really solidly done. What about, okay. So I don't know if you caught this or not, but the moment where we where we see Florence Pugh's character, oh, was it Jean Tartlet Tartit? Uh, I know it's Jean. I yeah, so I don't care she, to learn the last name. It, <laughs> she she played a a former girlfriend of Oppenheimer who was a communist, Jean Tatlock. So she played this character, and she winds up killing herself. But there is a like a moment where you see a gloved black hand holding her head down in water. It was like a flash and you missed it. Mm-hmm. Like if you blinked, you didn't notice it was there almost saying like, did she kill herself? I think he was concerned with, he didn't know if she did. Cause they also mentioned something about uh, like a toxicology report that she had barbiturates she, yeah. as well as something else in her mm-hmm. system. And so she, she wrote a letter, but didn't sign it. I think what they were trying to express in that is Oppenheimer wasn't certain Mm. if she killed herself or if she killed herself. Wink, wink. Marilyn Monroe style. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
How about the little note that one of the people that <laughs> that uh, said no to Louis Strauss was John F. Kennedy? Yeah, as soon as they said a young senator from Massachusetts, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, trying to make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. This because young upstart. That young upstart who got, you know, who didn't like people like uh what was louis strauss louis strauss yeah, yeah didn't or strauss yeah did not like those uh types of characters and surprise mm-hmm. he got assassinated Who surprise surprise yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a moment in the movie that i thought was really telling that I, like when i look back on it now it lets you know what kind of person louis strauss is and especially this portrayal because when we first when, when oppenheimer first meets him he notes that strauss Go, doesn't go by the name Strauss. He goes by Strauss, almost. And and he and Oppenheimer kind of, kind of makes a general idea that like he's hiding, like that Strauss was hiding his Jewishness, basically. Okay. Because when he says he's like Strauss, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, you know, he does that kind of thing. He like he says that to him, and then Strauss immediately comes back and is like, "Well, I'm the president of XX, like something in the Jewish community." He's like, "It's just the Southern pronunciation of the name." Like that is the first moment where it's clear that this is a guy who knows that he has to do things in the shadows. You know what I mean? Like he has to hide part of himself to get where he wants to go. Exactly. Like that's yeah. the first moment that that inkling is there. Yeah, no, that's a really nice touch because it does kind of let you know right away that this character, because you don't really get to realize the seediness of the character till the last 30 minutes of the movie. Right, yeah. So it really, it kind of gives, it does, it gives you that indication right away though that this is somebody who's politically motivated. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who, uh, you know, really cares a lot about their reputation. Yeah. And when he says, uh, when they're talking about his, like where he came from and he's like, so you started out as a humble shoe salesman. And he says, no, I was a shoe salesman. Yeah, dude. I loved that yeah. one. <laughs> so good. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like subtlety in this movie. There it's, really is. Yeah. Nolan is so good with that kind of stuff. The right. Yeah. The right. Both movies for very different reasons had fucking phenomenal writing. Yes. And, yeah. and phenomenal storytelling. Like, I could say all of the same things about these two movies. Well, not that's not entirely true. I can't say I laughed a whole bunch during Oppenheimer, but but, <laughs> yeah. but other than that, like the writing, the cast, like you know, like the storytelling, everything. Both movies were really good at that on all all those things. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we we won't rate them. We'll rate Barbenheimer as a whole. But before we do, if you had to pick one of these movies to watch again, which one would you want to watch again? If like, you could only pick one to watch again. Ever, like ever again. Uh sure, yeah. Okay, so if like one's gonna go away forever and one you can watch again, you know, however many times. Oh god. That's if if you had to kill one of these movies, which one would you kill? I think Oppenheimer. Not because it was lesser than Barbie, but because in this specific instance, Barbie has rewatchability. I think Oppenheimer has like a once or twice more in my life kind of watch where if I'm like, you never saw Oppenheimer. Oh, we got to watch it like that. That's really the only time I'm ever going to watch that again. Okay. You know what I mean, I could see that. And it's not going to be a Netflix and chill evening. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that because Barbie has a lot of replay value and because it's funny and it's fun. Like Oppenheimer is one of those movies that once or twice more in your life, you'll watch again and sure. appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm the opposite. I think I would oh, rather. Yeah. Get, yeah. Cause Barbie was fun and I enjoyed it, but 
I'm more interested in history. Mm-hmm. And so I, I honestly, I think I'd be more likely to rewatch Oppenheimer just to kind of pick up on more stuff to pick up on more little tidbits and details. And then I'll probably end up reading a book about Oppenheimer and then watching it again. Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting story. The Barbie movie, it was better than I expected, but still I could take it or leave it. Mm. Okay. I mean, I think both of those are valid reasons for, for both things. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I, I could also say, see saying like Oppenheimer's a lot. I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch this. Yeah. Then that's, that's the thing. Like that was my thought process. Cause I will definitely see it again, at least once or twice more in my life. For sure. Yeah. Because it is that kind of movie at the, I, I think there's, there is just a lot to take in. It's not something you're going to watch for funsies on a weekend with the bros, you know? Yeah. Alrighty, cool. So Zach would keep Barbie. I would keep Oppenheimer. So now the real question: We're gonna rate the Barbenheimer experience oh itself. Ooh, can we do pink mushroom clouds? Yeah, on a scale <laughs> of one to ten, pink mushroom clouds. How would you rate the entire Barbenheimer experience? Going out to a movie, doing a double feature, and specifically these two movies back to back. Uh, I would rate it. I would rate it a solid eight and a half pink mushroom clouds out of 10. And my reasoning is that if you go and watch these two films, if you somehow have the fucking time on your hands <laughs> to do this, definitely watch them in that order. I, I do feel like we made the right choice, but watch them in that order and you will get everything you could ever want out of a movie in two films because you're going to experience the full spectrum of emotions over the course of like five hours. And I think that it was worth the money to see both of these movies. I would agree. I think I'm right there with you. Probably. I think I'll go a little bit lower. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10. Yeah. Um, Cause it is a lot, but I think the positives is watching both these movies back to back. You don't get a bad performance. no, not yeah, at all. On, I mean, and if you added the cast list of both films. Christ, dude, it's like half of Hollywood. Yeah, is these are two big movies with a lot of big names. You don't get a bad performance at all. Not at all. You get a lot of great writing mm-hmm. uh, to fuel those performances. Uh, I think both movies aesthetically looked really beautiful cinematography wise both in their once again in their own way barbie is fun and silly but all the scenes are like they're so cool they do such a great job of translating a plastic doll world totally into like a life-size real thing it's it's beautifully shot in just a very different way than oppenheimer yeah and oppen and oppenheimer is christopher nolan did dunkirk as well right he did yeah kind of same thing where it just really beautifully captures uh, a different period of time. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that uh, the actual, again, going back to like the Trinity like test was really artfully and tastefully reinterpreted for the movie. Yeah. yeah. So I think going back to back, I don't love that. I mean, honestly, we were talking about other double double features we've done. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've watched two movies in a theater back to back like that. Same. If given the opportunity, I certainly wouldn't do it again with these two films. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. So as a whole, I mean, it was just, it was a lot to get through. Are you saying it? Okay. So are you saying if, if Thor now could go back in time and tell that Thor, or are you saying if someone called you up and would like, and was like, do you want to go do Barbieheimer with me? 
you would say no now. Yeah, I would say no. Let's pick two different days and go and watch them each individually. <laughs> okay, okay. So you wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun experience, but I think it's unnecessary to watch them back to <laughs> back. Like they obviously they weren't made to be done. Like it is just people funning at yeah. the fact that these two movies exist at the same time. Yeah. But that was what made it fun for me. <laughs> was yeah. you know going to see these two completely diametrically opposed films. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. Well, Zach, thank you for doing this with me. This is my uh, pleasure, dude. Next week is going to be whatever our regularly scheduled episode is. But yeah, no, thank you for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Zach, if you didn't know, is a podcaster himself. Indeed. With a very cool, very successful podcast all about comic books. Zach, tell him about it. That is the comics that we love for each week. I sit down with a friend and we discuss like a book that they loved and something that made them a fan of comics or like solidified that love. I also like to have people on who aren't really comic readers and introduce them to stories that I think would fit them. And I've done that with Thor a couple times now. And so far, I'm batting a thousand. Yeah, no, Zach picks good comics for me. And it's it's a blast. I enjoy doing it. We really break down the book and try to understand, like, why is this book great? Like, why do people love this? It's less it's less us going point by point through the story and more us looking at it as the art form and being like, what is good? What is good about this? With with some spoilery stuff. But yeah, so the comics that we love, it's available everywhere. Follow me on Instagram at the comics that we love. I'm also on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Z underscore <laughs> Irish underscore red. And yeah, those are the places to get my stuff. All right. Awesome. Also on TikTok. I might start TikToking again. Yeah, TikToking. Yeah, I did. I did the comics obscure stuff on TikTok where I took ridiculous obscure characters and talked about them. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Go find Zach on TikTok. Is it at the comics that we yeah, love on TikTok? Dude, you did some great little short ones about just these random small comic book characters that were so funny <laughs> what was, what uh give me some of the highlights uh like one of my favorites was legal eagle who was a villain created specifically for a hostess ad and it's the only <laughs> time the character's ever really been used it's had like one brief appearance elsewhere but literally spider-man stops him from stealing the declaration of independence by trapping him with hostess cupcakes like that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was one of my favorites yeah also there's um who else? We got D-Man, who literally is like a, a little buddy sidekick of, of Captain America, who had a costume that was an amalgamation of Wolverine and Daredevil's yellow costume. It looks ridiculous, and his name is ridiculous, but the character's actually super interesting. So, yeah, yeah, very cool. So, great follow on TikTok. Alright, awesome, but that's about it. So, uh, once again, next week we'll be back to our regularly scheduled episodes. Zach, thanks once again. My pleasure. Everybody get out there and go Barbenheimer and have fun. Uh, but until next time, as always, you get wrecked. And stay wrecked. Good night, everybody.